welcome to Chasing Squirrels. I am here with Beth Lyons, and I wish, I wish I could, I wish I could have a this experience of trying to connect with you as part of my learning when I was a first year teacher, <laughs> because the whole us losing the feed, us losing Twitter, losing connection. It's it's kind of like that. Um, it's like that teacher nightmare, just before school starts. Some some teachers have them. You sort of wake up and you've arrived at school. You know you've got three hundred kids you have to deal with, and you've left all your lesson plans at home. And somehow in that dream, it's also like wherever your school is and your home is, it's like a thousand miles away. So there's no way to go back and get your stuff. And you get this moment of anxiety. Yeah, so- we had the uh, the <laughs> board wide internet and intranet go down. I don't know, somewhere between five to 10 times this year at school. Wow. Um, and it was just like complete chaos because the library system is all internet based, all network based. And then, um, and we had it happen on the last day of EQAO. So all the kids that were writing, you know, through Google uh, Read and Write and stuff. So everybody really learned how to tap dance this year, I think, which might be a forgotten art in our new days with all so much tech available. That's a good way to put it, the tap dancing. It's in part of what I, I don't know if my feed, the things that I was pushing into the DMs to you. So just, you know, full disclosure, we, I think we're tentatively to have a conversation. I can't even go back and see it now, but I think we were supposed to start talking almost two hours ago, but that was yes. kind of the, the window. That and then the that was the plan. And then something happened, something blipped in Twitter. Our DMs are not moving back and forth. And it's one of the things that, and I don't, I'm curious about your perspective on this. Like I, I will say flat out, I started to worry about you. It's, and I didn't, I did that show them the on-ramp and I don't mean that in the like, like super, 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 let's bring this kind of like, cause we were laughing a lot before we got on tape. So I still want to laugh a little bit, but I'm, I'm just saying when, when I couldn't connect with you, I had this moment like, oh my gosh, like what's happened? Well, and I was worried that you thought I'd totally bailed. I was like, he's going to think I'm such a flake and I bailed on this. And why, like, you know, what's happening? It's I was a, like, oh, God, what a bad first impression. Totally, totally inserted, you know, our own emotional. <laughs> well, okay. So to that end, I'm thinking, well, maybe that last GIF I sent her, she it was offensive. I was like, maybe that, maybe I, 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 I did, did. I was yeah. like, Cluff, I'm very did opposed to high-fiving cats. <laughs> There we go. High fiving cats. Yeah. So, um, but it was, it's funny in that, that gap it's, and I started to think of, I mean, of course, then my brain, the teacher brain pushed it out into, you know, the things that we do, you say tap dancing, that's yeah, definitely one way to look at it. When, when the tech kind of fails, when the, the lines of communication fail and I got nothing profound about that, but other than it's, I'm happy that, you know, there, I'm happy that we reconnected and we're, you know, we're back on track. It did make me think, at least from, you know, where my, you know, I, I was wondering if, like, I was like, she's fallen down or something. Like, she's just, <laughs> I, I imagine like just, and your and your mobile phone is just beyond your reach, but you know, right. you've hurt yeah, your yeah, leg. Yeah. You've hurt your <laughs> leg and you're sort of dramatically just trying to type out key by key by key, like... <laughs> Voice typing. Help yeah. Me. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, voice typing. Um, oh, one percent left on the phone. Like it's so yeah, cinematic. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but I was. I was actually thinking to myself, like I was. I was one. I think one message short of looking through your feed to see who else was kind of out there that I could send a message to. Like, hey, you know, like you. 
Somebody check in on Beth. Something happened here. <laughs> I've had the conversation before with other teachers just about, you know, how we use digital tools, how we, how we, how we communicate, why we communicate. And, you know, if, if there's a deeper layer to kind of use it at. So we don't have to go into that, but it's an interesting space around losing connection when there's yeah. an expected connection and what that, what that does well, to us, how it taps into yeah. our, well, for me, it was total human fear. I was like, it's the apocalypse. Something happened on that end. Well, it's, it's crazy to think back, like, you know, our parents drove around with us in the car without any way of contacting people at all. Should something happen like a flat tire or run out of gas or whatever. And if I yeah. forget my phone just to go out to the grocery store, I'm in full panic mode. Like, <gasps> what if I need to? And what if my husband needs to? And, you know, that instant connection has become so ingrained in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a thing that um, both my kids in exploring their their digital selves that I um, I'm I'm we're having interesting conversation. It's funny because there's the, there's no um, actually there is. I could probably go I could go on Amazon right now and how to train your kids to use digital. But mm-hmm. I find my spouse and I right now are just we're watching we're watching for the moments where we perceive kind of like a mistake has been made. And then we're just using that to kind of introduce the rule. So Mm -hmm. the access points that my kids have to digital are, we feel sort of measured and kind of thin, like it's not, you know, all digital all the time. And it's definitely not any digital anytime. It's, you know, there's a limited suite of tools and we're finding that it gives us the time to notice some of the mistakes that could eventually become hidden behaviors. Right. So working on the all devices on the kitchen table, you know, before bed. Um, right. Another new one that's just come up is FaceTiming. So my daughter has discovered FaceTiming. So the new conversation there is around making sure you have a neutral backdrop when you're right. FaceTiming and also making sure that you're in a, um, you know, in a safe state of clothing to be able to do FaceTiming. Mm-hmm. And then of course, you know, we've also talked about no FaceTiming from, from your bedroom. Yeah. We had to have a talk about time of day FaceTime. Oh, that's a good one too. We, we, we heard voices and I couldn't quite figure out what it was. It was like a weekday and my, uh, my youngest, we, they have a Facebook kids messenger so they can connect with, uh, their friends who both their parents and, and us as parents have agreed that it's okay for them to contact each other via this kid's messenger. And it has a FaceTime type um, part of it. And my daughter was missing her best friend from school. And so therefore tried to FaceTime at like mm. six ten in the morning and woke up a number of the family members in the other house when the devices all started ringing. So then we had to have a talk about, you know, and she can't tell time. She's five. Yep. She just knew she missed her best friend and wanted to talk to her. So what's an acceptable time of day to be calling people at all? <laughs> Have you had any any of your kids' friends call you, your device, and you know that they know your number because it was sort of on a birthday party invite or something? No, not yet. No one's called my number. Yeah. So it's an interesting space and the whole, and you, and you get a little glimpse into how other families kind of work through their mm-hmm. digital thing. Cause you know, there's like, yes, I'm on my mommy's phone. So I'm just, they're using the, um, 
like the recents. <laughs> and I and right, I know yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I know you, your 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 Maddie's mommy or daddy. So I'm calling you. Can you put her on the phone? I'm like, no, yeah. no, you could call the landline. <laughs> yeah. So oh. Yeah. It's a whole new world being a parent these days. Loving it. That's the way the our whole on ramp conversation was awesome. The the sharing, mm-hmm. the parent sharing, the support group. <laughs> Yeah, it's nice to know that you're not the only one out there with the same things happening. Yeah, it's absolutely the same. Everyone's got a different piece of that same. Can um okay, so I'll I'm gonna roll back to this. So, hello Beth, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, happy <laughs> to be here. <laughs> so, could you um throw down some bits of an intro to yourself? What would you what you what would you like to throw down to get the conversation starting? Um, well, I am currently a teacher librarian. Um, I just finished up my second year in the library. Um, and before that, I taught every grade from three to eight. Um, and I taught a bit of rotary and a bit of core and a bit of French. So I've kind of taught, you know, all over the place, uh, which really helped in the library, I think. Um, other than that, I'm a mom. I have two little girls, uh, five and eight. And uh, I'm a voracious reader. I will read almost anything. Um, and I read very fast. So it's kind of cool to be able to, you know, get through so many different things over the course of the year. And I started actually tracking my my reading this year in January just to see kind of not necessarily how many books I've read because I don't think the number matters, although I do like to see the number, but just kind of to see the patterns and the ebb and flow of the different topics of what I read. I'm going to throw out how we've come to this conversation. So there's, there's a question that you posed that came up in socials. I think you also, you connected with uh, another friend of mine, another space where I've chats through the decoded podcast. Mm -hmm. So with, with Roland and it was, it was cool. It was cool to, I gotta be honest. It was cool to connect with someone that's listened to, our podcast like that's always <laughs> cool too so it's, yeah it's 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 uh you know both i won't i'm not speaking for roland but i think i'm kind of i'm i'm just sort of wrapping a little bit what his and my conversations about is that it is about for for he and i um you know first off building some sort of a reflective practice second finding a way to share that reflective practice and third, not really driving home that anyone has to be able to buy, commodify, like they can just steal whatever it is. So finding a way to do that, um, kind of like an open staff room slash kitchen table frame. So you came across our our podcast and the question that kind of circled out of that, well, take it back to what is it, what was it that, that you noticed? And then I'll swing it into some of the stuff that we can talk about today. What was your your recollection, what were you, what did you sort of like steal out of our combo? So you guys were kind of talking about um, like podcasting and uh, conversations with colleagues in, in school and outside of school um, and whether that was like professional development or, or even personal development, I guess. And um, I, I can't, I don't know which one of you had talked about it, but how you're not always your, not necessarily your real self at school, but maybe your whole self, you know, the, Sometimes you just come to work, you do your work, you don't necessarily have, you know, really in-depth, deep conversations with your colleagues at work. 
because you might not always be on the same, you know, journey, the same path, looking at the same interests or learning the same things. Um, but that, you know, through your conversations on your podcast, um, that that's kind of where some of your professional development comes from the conversations. So it kind of led me to think about whether, cause I kind of developed a love for podcasts in the past year and not necessarily educational podcasts, like educational teacher based podcasts, I guess I should say, um, whether even just listening to podcasts counts as professional development. Cause I don't podcast myself. So even if you're not necessarily in the conversation per se, are you still developing, you know, your own learning through that? Um, and then the reason I messaged you guys is I decided probably mm, five years ago or so that when I saw something I liked, you know, if I'm out and about and I see someone who has a cool purse or nails, you know, not anything super deep or whatever, but you know, when I see something I like, you know, instead of being nervous to, you know, say something to people just to say it, nobody's going to be offended because you like something about them. So I try very hard when I notice something that I like to reach out and at least tell the person, um, you know, because it makes everybody's day a little bit brighter. So I didn't anticipate anything coming from my message, but I just wanted to be like, hey, I liked what I heard. It was cool kind of thing. I think that was part of the vibe. That was part of the vibe that made me push back out and say, hey, you know, you want to chat on the podcast then? <laughs> like it's, it's, there's not a lot of, um, I don't you know, a lot of my reflective practice, whether it's just me kind of doing stuff for me, you know, writing or journaling, or some of the stuff that kind of gets squeezed out into my creative stuff, um, making little videos or, or writing poetry, like I don't, I don't take a lot of turnaround time. And this is, I think, your idea of sort of acknowledging and noticing and then actioning, I, I'm totally down with. I mean, that's, that's the whole, that's part of, I guess, my creative process is that moving from the sort of planning and thinking into an iteration has become really important to my practice. So recognizing that you're having a response to a conversation that Roland and I thought, I thought, okay, well, now let's take this outside the bubble. Let's see, let's see outside of his and my kind of protected space and the version of our conversation that we had what's an alt universe to this one and that's what sparked my reach out to say you know well we can talk about that and kind of push further so i think i was i was getting the vibe that you're sending and i really appreciate that really really appreciate and respect that idea of um going from noticing to connecting and i won't say that doing the podcast has made me i'm it's still a work in progress but it's it's put it on my radar to sort of move faster to that space uh, I think probably part of that stems out of, you know, I've had a lot of great conversations in my board with people that I, I can meet in real life, but I've also had to get kind of used to the fact mm -hmm. that if I reach out to someone, ask them if they want to talk to me, uh, they're like, no, I'm good. <laughs> Appreciate it. I'm good. Which now that I think about it was probably tripping into some of my insecurities when I thought you had ghosted me. To be honest, <laughs> that's I'm like, well, that's how set it up. This is like just a big, you know, forget it, Clef. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I get that, that sort of reaching out and kind of actioning something kind of quick. Um, and that sets up a little bit with the, the that question that you posed is, you know, where does podcasting sit in the actual spectrum of opportunities of professional development? Do you feel like you could take a stand on it? What is it that you, what is it that you believe right now? Right now, as we're talking, where are you at? 
so it's funny because I, the majority of my podcasts that I listen to are not uh, like teacher driven podcasts related to educational, you know, issues or ideas and things like that. It's just mostly for, I don't say I want to say entertainment because I don't think that's the quite the right word, but just um, like, I don't know, information, entertainment, infotainment, whatever kind of thing. Um, and so mostly I think it was funny because I, the little note that I kind of sent you is that I think um, the reason I like podcasts and listening to podcasts so much is that our lives are so busy nowadays and so fast paced that there's not a lot of opportunities for kind of sitting down and having a deep conversation with anyone about anything. I mean, even with my husband, by the time the kids are in bed at night, we have like 40 minutes. Like we're not getting into anything deep other than like, hey, you want to watch this show? Yep. Kind of thing. So, you know, a lot of the podcasts that I listen to are an hour or two hours long, and it's kind of a sustained narrative about something interesting, Um, you know, and it's a, usually it's a back and forth between a couple of people and you're just kind of in a conversation and it, you know, that you have that time to really dig deep into different ideas and kind of get your, your own ideas um, kind of to loop around with it or a new idea gets planted in your head. Um, and I just, I like that time to be in a conversation about things and to learn about people. If that makes Absolutely. Sense. I constantly get twisted. I'm sorry. And that's been my experience too. Like I've, I've learned that my, my spouse, uh, she's an educator as well. And to sort of get into, to get into, you know, the tension that sort of exists between coming home, getting dinner ready, like kind of recommitting to family when you come home at the end of the day, it takes some time. Like it just doesn't just because, you know, because even seeing my kids, so she does drop off. I do pick up um, even I'll see the kids and I'll see her in the morning. It's interesting though, that it's so, it's so, um, uh, almost robotic in a lot of ways because you're in the plan, right? You're in that sort of mode of launching, getting off, lunch is ready, whatever, breakfast, all those kind of minutiae that set up the day. And you're still, I'm still kind of in that frame when I pick the kids up at the end of the day, like got to get home, got to make dinner. Maybe I got to mow the lawn. Like there's other little bits that fill in there. So yeah, you sort of get to, there's at some, it tends to be like this at some point during dinner, you just feel yourself kind of go, huh. yeah. <laughs> and then you look at the clock and you're like, crap we're like about 40 minutes out from bedtime routine yeah yeah so i totally get the 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 speed of life stuff yeah and my husband Uh, commutes um he actually works in scarborough so he has about hmm. an hour and a half one-way commute each day so i do drop off and pick up and you know it's just me and the girls for an hour sometimes an hour and a half in the evening before he even gets home and, you know, so some, sometimes we have dinner, all four of us, sometimes they eat and then he and I eat and then it's immediately, you know, bath, bedtime. And then depending on the children's, you know, ability to fall asleep. Uh, and if one of us ends up falling asleep with a kid, cause that, you know, happens too, we, we may not actually have a real conversation for a number of days kind of thing. So yeah, it's, you know, just kind of having that adult connection, being able to talk to somebody even if you're not talking per se, um, I think has kind of evened me out a little bit. It helps me um, not feel like I'm, you know, spiraling 
around with the children constantly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If for your, um, so I think you, you might have definitely, I don't know if you, did you commit? Did you commit on that answer? Did I commit to? Did, I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to. I'm, so we went back. So I'll, I'll, I can ask it the question in a similar fashion, but from okay. a different angle here. When you're in a PD session, right? I kind of wrote down PD as prose or poetry, right? So when you're in a PD session, do you feel any deeper connection with a PD session that is closer to? kind of like the structure of prose where you sort of get this, the, this, the, you know, the idea is introduced. It's kind of like uh, it's supported, it's analyzed, the resources are given and concluded or the PD session that feels a little bit ex- more po- poetic, let's say, where it's maybe more um, a chunk of a narrative or, you know, uh, kind of like freestyling. Yeah. I would say P- PD that's more freestyling that is open to, conversation and discussion um a lot less of that you know uh give given not give and get what's the like the sit and take kind of thing like that to me isn't you know isn't the optimal my optimal learning style and I don't think it's many people's optimal learning style um I do find I need the time to process I I don't always have all my ideas formulated right away Mm -hmm. but just being able to kind of um you know, toss stuff around, sit with someone, discuss. Um, I think that type of, of PD that keeps conversations moving, the uh, the yes and kind of idea, like, you know, uh, yes and this, yes and that, and kind of building off each other's ideas, mm-hmm. which I think is where kind of the interest in, the, in listening to podcasts comes in. Because you obviously or I obviously seek out podcasts of things that are interested to me, interesting to me. Um, And then, you know, it kind of builds from there. So then I might go read the book from the person who did the podcast to kind of, you know, add on to what they talked about or watch whatever documentary they're talking about, that kind of thing. What's um, right now in your podcast list, what would be, what would be a, uh, almost like a, your your sort of your candy that someone may be surprised that you're listening to that podcast. Uh, so my go to number one podcast is Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard, mm. um, and it's funny when I first started listening to it, it was really like you know I'm reading so much you know PD books and um, I've really kind of expanded my even my fiction um, to lots of diverse different backgrounds and authors and stuff. So a lot of it can be heavy. And I was like, I just want something kind of light for my drive to work. You know, like, you know, he's a celebrity. He's interviewing celebrities. This isn't going to be any kind of like deep thinking type stuff. I just want something that's going to get me to work and, you know, keep me smiling. Um, And it really surprised me because, yes, he's a celebrity. And, yes, he interviews celebrities. But they don't talk about celebrity-ness, celebrity type things they dive really deep into people's backgrounds and their problems and their issues and their identities and how it relates to culture. Um, And it's, you know, it's been really kind of eye opening to hear different things and, and how people kind of what they thought becoming a celebrity would do for them and how it hasn't, you know, it hasn't solved their problems and it hasn't made them perfectly happy. And, you know, they still have all these demons that they wrestle 
um, kind of thing. And then he also interviews different um, experts on different things. Um, well, let me see if I can pull, like he has, um, let me see if I can find one here. That I, oh, he did, um, uh, it's one of the books I want to read this summer. Can't find it now. Anyway, oh, here it is. Yuval Noah Harari, he interviewed, um, you know, and just like totally out of the realm of like, um, actual celebrities. Cause he also did, um, you know, like Josh Dumal, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, I think we'd sometimes get these visions of, you know, these celebrities and who they are and blah, blah, blah. And we forget that they're real people. So that's always, um, kind of my go-to for my drive to work. Um, and it's really opened my eyes to different people. And then I also love revisionist history with Malcolm Gladwell, um, which then led me to um, Against the Rules with Michael Lewis, because um, it's the same, it's Pushkin industry. So Malcolm Gladwell kind of produces Against the Rules. So, so there, none of those are education-based, but I feel like it still relates, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've always, I not sorry, not always, but pretty much pretty soon after I started working in, 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 as a teacher, when I came into education, it's a second career for me. Um, I kind of felt like I, I was compelled to look outside my staff room, my school, my board, I was already kind of wandering and asking people by using social media questions about education that kind of branched off and fractured out into new areas and new areas of questioning that ultimately kind of wrapped back around and where where you've said, and I've done this as well, you know, you've gone and you've bought the book, so to speak. I've done that sort of trying to get to know uh, a person of interest that I've connected with. And I think that's also what brought to light the possibility of doing a podcast, because as you said, getting that little bit of that longer form interaction, tighter interaction with an area of content or person, um, was sort of like a natural byproduct of my curiosity. Cause it was constantly like, like there's an element of the skim and scan, skim and scan, sort of taking in consuming. And then that thing that just hooks you that you can't get out of your brain. How close can I get to that person to have a better conversation about it? Um, and I think that's where podcasting to me sort of fed into that moment. You know, I could choose to read the book or I could choose to reach out and say, Hey, can we talk about this thing? And if they, you know, they say yes, then cool. I still might buy the book. And if they say no, well, cool. I still might buy the book. So mm-hmm. for me as well, I am closer to PDS poetry. I think that the more open spaces with, with the more open spaces that we can create for learning, whether it's for students or teachers or, you know, the system in general um, is a good thing. And we, I think a colleague and I did a, an equity session in the last two days of school. And we had our, we had the foundational tools of a presentation. You know, we had the, the resources and the post-it notes and the white erase board, and we had a slide deck. So we had all the kind of the, I guess the bones, uh, what the meat looked like on that actual presentation though, we only made it through, you know, less than half of our slides because we managed to design some provocations in it that we ended up just chatting as a group. I think there was maybe 20 of us for, um, 
for about 45 minutes. And there was a request for us to include a survey at the end and we didn't bother. What we said instead was uh, we offered a commitment to return to the conversation. And if the people wanted, we can go back through the slide deck, Um, but we'll return to it in September and we'll do some small sessions, some small discussion sessions. And it was a, Um, it was a strange format. Sorry, sorry about cutting it. It was just, it was a strange format because, you know, to have the survey, to create it, it's a it's a funny thing, eh? To create a survey before you do the presentation. Yeah, it's just it, we it was just occurring to me. I'm like, yeah, because what could, what could you possibly ask in advance that couldn't be either redundant, strange, or off the mark? Like you're 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 well, yeah, and you're putting your own perspective into the survey. And I think without being able to put it to words, that's what we both instinctively kind of felt with the topic, which is why we said we won't do a survey that you're just going to point and click. We're going to invite you back into the conversation again in September and we'll see how it evolves. Um, listening to you talk about that, it made me, and I hadn't connected it till now with the podcasting and stuff, but I went to EdCamp London mm-hmm. um, and I'd never gone to an EdCamp before. So I wasn't really sure kind of what to expect. Um, mostly going to, you know, PD where people have stuff prepared, a slide deck, you know, provocations, blah, 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 whatever. Um, and it was really interesting to just kind of be in a room with people who were all interested and intrigued about the same topics, um, but that uh, nobody had something prepared. It was just just a conversation. Um, and it was really interesting because the last one I went to um, of the day was about podcasting. Um, and the idea had kind of been thrown up on the board by an educator who hadn't podcasted before hadn't really tried out podcasting at all and was just really intrigued by it and kind of hoping to get a foot in the door from the room. So she kind of facilitated a discussion about something she really had no idea about, which took, I think, a tremendous amount of bravery to be like, hey, I know nothing about this and I want to talk about it more. Um, And then just to kind of, you know, a lot of people uh, shared out different ideas and that's kind of where it sparked for me the idea of maybe trying this more with my own students in the library. Uh, I had hoped at the end of the year, but it just never kind of came to fruition, but definitely mm-hmm. in September. So that's, I think that's maybe too why ed camps seem to be growing in popularity is people are, you know, looking for those conversations and a way to bat the ideas around without, you know, always having the, the expert at the front of the room giving the ideas. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's it's a great if you're if you're test driving or or um, what's that it's I think it's a marketing or business term where you put together put together the, the minimal viable product I think that's what like it a is focus group or something well within a focus group but the actual thing that you create I think is actually the you know the acronym of MVP but it's the the minimal viable product so it's kind of like that if you're to do the podcast like your your minimal viable product would be sort of you talking on your your mobile device, maybe using music on the radio behind you to sort of like fade in an intro song and then sort of turn down the volume, start to talk. And then, you know, you know what I mean? Like you could actually create a little pocket uh, podcast just to test drive and see, can you do this at a really minimal level? And then you could share it out and see, you know, what do you think? But I mm-hmm. like, I like those ed camps because I, I, think that that's where people do a similar thing with the ideas they sort of arrive with like this kind of sketchy kind of inspiration 
and then crowdsource it in real life where you get not only the information experience, but I think you get valuable tone and texture to it. Like you get mm-hmm. emotional response in those conversations that sometimes can be really, really neutralized by solely exploring these topics digitally. Um, so you get, I think, just a, a nicer litmus of the reaction, the emotional reaction to the thinking, which for me is always, it's so important for me to get that from outside my silo, outside of my brain. Like, what does this really, not only what does this look like outside of my silo, but what does this feel like outside of my silo? Mm -hmm. Um, Some of my podcasts that I've done, I've just gone and sat with the iPhone between us. And I really enjoy those ones, like where I can just sit and sit across with no more technology than I have a, a decent audio recorder on my phone. And then I, play it out that way. And often the questions that I want to ask change almost instantly. Well, I think it has something to do with uh, people's voices too. I know in that one episode of Against the Rules that I sent to you with Malcolm Gladwell and Michael Lewis, and they're talking about, um, you know, the difference of telling a story when you write it um, versus kind of doing a story through podcasting. And they were talking about, you know, different people's voices and how, you know, a voice can lend kind of um, a weight to the story or, you know, a credibility to a story if it's someone's own story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that too might be what draws me to the podcast is I, I love reading um, as I mentioned, but hearing the, the actual voices of humans um, it might be something that we've, you know, kind of gotten away from with so much digital, you know, we, te- we text now we email we DM, we don't maybe hear voices as much as we, you know, our humanness needs us to be hearing voices. So, so to that, and I agree, I think that there's, there's, I think in that podcast, um, I think Gladwell kind of went, uh, you know, he went very close to the throat because I think in my, my take, what I was getting from was that it's not only it's not only the story, sometimes it's just the sound of the individual telling the story that can sometimes break mm-hmm. it or someone's distractibility that they're just not getting to the story. You know it's there, but they're just yeah. not getting to it. Um, my subtext to all that that I kept on thinking about as I was listening to that podcast, and I to anyone anyone that's picking up this cast, it's a great cast. The, um, the, the first episode is really good too about the NBA referees. When you sent me the link, I was trying, I was like, where do I know this from? So I, I heard the launch episode about uh, the basketball players in the first one. Great, great podcast. Uh, of uh, Against the Rules? Great podcast, anyone that wants to check it out. The thing that, that I was thinking underneath it is the amount of, I think I fall on the side of, it's it's really important to have kind of a, it's kind of a two-parter, that curiosity and wherever that leads you into sort of creation, something like a podcast. But I also think there's a, there's a, there's kind of like a, a, a minimum amount of doing that you have to have underneath it. So it's to, in the beginning, I will say in the beginning when I did this podcast, I had a list of like 65 questions that I thought I had to ask. No joke. I'll share the doc with you if you want. You can, it's, <laughs> I believe you 65. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't mean it. I don't mean it, it, it. Part of it is I share it now just out as a, maybe other people would want to use this. Maybe they would want to just play with it. Maybe it's just, you know, it could be unremarkable or it could be a, a, a you know a tool if someone wants to use them. And then I kind of chopped it down again. I'm like, okay, here's the, here's the real ones after I, you know, what I should be asking. And at some point, 
was like, it can't work like this. Like it wasn't working like this. Cause what I was kind of avoiding in the conversation was me. Like I wasn't, I wasn't actually participating at all. It made it, there's this balance between, I find in this medium kind of having the guest or the, the other person that's in the room with you share their thing without being able to sort of stay in that space if the conversation stays on that topic, but also for me, like to say, okay, now I got to get to question number seven. Right. And that kind of a hairpin turn, you hear it, <laughs> you hear it on the other side. Yeah. Um, and if I know that I probably dissed a few people because I thought that I had to get to those questions. Um, and it wasn't, I think, until I did the sit across combo with the podcast where I was in the same room with the person that I had a sense of the power of the feeling on the other side, because you just couldn't, you can't shift if you're looking into the person's eyes and you can see that they're still processing a, a response. It's kind of the difference between say like an interview, which it sounds like what you started with oh, yeah. versus a conversation from an inquiry stance, right? Kind of like how we, you know, many people focus their teaching now. Like, yes, we have kind of a desired outcome, but when you're perhaps building a unit nowadays it's not necessarily this lesson then this lesson then this lesson and there's no room for questioning or inquiry or any kind of passion in it mm -hmm. whereas now we you know we kind of know where we want to go but the path to get there is very you know can be very different and winding and and loop back around so it's like conversation as inquiry which is i think that's what that was the pickup point for you like i think that was that was sort of the heart of of your thinking right now from you mm -hmm. you know your blog post and our communication is kind of like this, uh, 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 kind of like a, an aha moment as in, is there, is this a new, is this a new format for you? I don't think you're questioning it as far as being a, for, a new format in general, but like, what is right. the, what are your tethers to it? Yeah. Kind of like, why do I like it so much and why do I continue to seek it out? Do you think that if you begin, if you begin to do it as part of a school experience, that you'll make it too teachery and you'll stop liking it. Like actually um, having a podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my worry. Um, I go back and forth, you know, whether even my own kind of personal podcast, is that something I'd be interested in? I know I'm a lot drawn more to writing out my ideas, um, which is why I like blogging. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know whether, uh, I would get the same enjoyment from talking it out on a podcast um, versus blogging. Um, I mean, I, I enjoy having conversations with people and it doesn't, I, I don't shy away from it. Um, I, I think it, at the school when it would depend on what the, the topic was going to be, I think being the librarian, um, any podcasting we did would be a lot more organic. It wouldn't be necessarily part of a class, you know, assignment, it might be more of a of a club or you know an interest based activity, which would maybe then help it not be too teachery. Can we play with that a little bit? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I want to I want to draw you into your some of the some of the blog posts, some of your some of your learning and your experiences over the last couple of years, and it it your that last statement about you know where it kind of fits within the school sort of where it sits with you and that that a little bit of that transition space between teacher you and, and personal you. So if you were 
Okay, how about this? If you were to start your podcast tomorrow, you're mm-hmm. just like, I'm going to go for it. I, I, I'm going to use this. I can do it tomorrow. What's the conversation? What would be your first episode conversation? Not necessarily the person, but like the conversation that you would like to have and the conversation that you're just like, nope, that is just not for me, not a conversation I'm going to have. Any first conversation would probably center around books and reading, being a librarian um, kind of thing, I would, I would guess. I like that you're guessing. I feel like you're interviewing yourself. What's the, <laughs> so books to what end? Um, I think using books to push, to push your own thinking or to push outside your boundaries. Hmm. Um, you know, like uh, in all of the PD and stuff I've done around um, teacher librarianship and things like that is, you know, making sure you have a, a diverse collection that allows the students to see you know, a mirror into their own lives and a window into the lives of others. Um, you know, so just, you know, what what books push us to see ourselves in a different way and then push us to see others in a different way. It might be interesting to, you know, talk to people about, you know, that one book that really kind of pushed them, really, you know, was an aha moment. Or, you know, a pair of books, fiction and nonfiction, how would you, you know, something that you paired together on the same topic. What would be a conversation that you definitely, definitely, as of right now, just this moment, I know it's going to be recorded forever, but <laughs> the, um, what wouldn't make the cut for you right now? So it kind of comes down to, you know, just a conversation that's, it's, it's not worth your investment right now. Even if it's going on out there, what would be a conversation or a topic? They're just like, yeah, that's, that's just not for me. Um, it's probably going to be super unpopular. Um, but I would say, um, like coding and tech and stuff, just because I think there's so many people out there already talking about it, Mm -hmm. um, and doing a great job of it. Um, and it's just not necessarily my wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. Um, not, I'm not anti it at all. I love exploring different tech and trying out different things. It just, it would probably not be my focus. That's fair. That's totally fair. And I think that, you know, that's, it's also, I'm, I'm, I would imagine, imagine with you that it's also like, is it, is, is that something that do you have an interest in coding, let's say away from school? Does it sort of fall in a, no, no, I'd, I've explored it here and there. Um, and stuff. The grade five boys showed me during the hour of code last year, this really cool game on code.org where you had to, kind of read the code and figure out what it was telling you to do to move dots around. And I was pretty obsessed with it. A, because they were so far ahead of me in the levels and they're in grade five and I'm an adult. Um, So I wanted to prove to them that I could do it. Um, But I can't honestly say I've done anything since December. Yeah. I find myself, I kind of, I do enough to support others, but I find Mm -hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't fascinate me. I just, it, it, it hasn't got its hooks into me. And even despite my, I guess the consumerism with which I use technology hasn't, it hasn't sort of like ported me over to want to know how to build those pieces. Yeah. So yeah. I like the tech aspect more of like photography and videos and creating for sharing information. Um, you know, I like Canva. I like Apple clips. I like Adobe spark. 
that kind of thing. That's more where my tech creation comes from. So with the tech, um, in one of your posts, one of your blog posts, you, um, okay. So I, you paused me with one of the things you said in there, it's part of, it's part of a piece of what you said, but the phrase was something like it all starts with books. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because on on the first edge of that, I'm like, yeah, of course. Like it's a library learning. Co- like I get it. It starts with the books. And then I started to think, but does it? But does it? And I started, my brain couldn't just agree. I had two halves saying like, does the, how core is that statement to thinking about the design of a learning commons, library learning commons. Like where does, where's that position? And then I started to wonder what, what the consensus would be amongst your colleagues, that statement, Mm -hmm. as in it all starts with books. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Um, So I know when I first uh, transitioned into the library and role last year, um, my first kind of change within the physical space of the library um, was to, you know, move the shelves around because the, um, the setup I didn't find optimal for, for the kids to be able to find their own stuff. Um, so we moved the shelves around to create kind of like, this is the nonfiction, this is the novels, this is graphic novels, this is picture books. Um, and then um, really updated visual signage for, um, for the students. So my school is a K to five um, and uh, about 860 students. And 300 of those students are kindergarten children. So we have lots of uh, tiny humans uh, moving around in the space. And then we have a very high um, ELL population. Um, So adding a lot of visuals to the signs and things that the kids were able to self-regulate in their book choice. Because we also moved to a free flow system where we don't have any class book periods anymore. The kids come down on their own in small groups um, and do their own self-checkout, usually while I'm co-teaching um, with a uh, teacher and their class on the other side. So the kids pretty much run the book checkout uh, on their own. Often if there is a problem happening at the checkout computers, by the time I notice it, other kids have helped solve it for uh, the kids. You know, big kids help little kids, little kids help big kids kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, so I wanted the kids to be able to regulate their book exchange and finding their books on their own. Um, and what has happened is actually our circulation increased, uh, like almost doubled from before the year before. Um, and when we have all sorts of provocations and tinkering stations, we have Lego, we have, um, the Kiva planks, we have loose parts, we have all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, when the kids come, it's books first, they want the books first. Um, I can track what, um, inquiries classes have started based on what nonfiction section the kids are are into you know I can tell when the grade twos have started looking at animals because there's almost no animal books left in the library I know when the grade threes have started looking at settlers and first nations um so it's really interesting to see you know to watch the kids come and yes they're really excited to build with lego but they usually don't do that until they found their books they come in return their books find their new books and then if they have time they'll tinker with something but the space is still books first what what does the conversation what could or what does the conversation look like when you share 
those observations with with the school as in because teachers coming down would know they'd be targeted we're like we're going in we're looking at the you know we're looking for animals or we're 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 talking about magic in class so they would sort of each each individual class may know that coming down is there the opportunity for you to share that back to the school to give them a a sense of what's happening in the commons that they might not necessarily have an appreciation of they're sort of like the did you know this is what's going on and not going on as in you have a scheduled event, but this is actually the data that you've gathered. I've never, I don't think I've ever had that. So I'm in, I'm in high school. I'm in secondary. Mm-hmm. I've never had that, but that would be really fascinating to listen to. And I know you, you put up on your, on your, um, on your blog, you, you, an infographic that you created. So you have mm-hmm. some of the, the data that's, that's blooming kind of rooted in your, in your space, but is the opportunity to have that, to, to share that with your staff, to give them a sense of kind of what's growing down, down there in the learning commons there, down there, not down there over there. I don't know where it's positioned in your school, but in, right. in your, in your, uh, in your, in your big classroom. Um, yeah, there's a lot of staff that come and, you know, are interested in the library um, it was a it was a hard transition last year. There was a lot of staff that I don't want to say opposed to the transition, but were hesitant with the changes. Um, they weren't really sure how it was going to work and how the students would be able to handle that kind of independence. Um, so there was a lot of conversations about that. Um, I shared a lot of data from you know other people who had done action research based on it, who had already been trying the, the um, system in their libraries. Um, and I often make, um, you know, videos that I put on our virtual announcements about different things that I've seen happening in the library um, and things like that. And then if a teacher's on Twitter um, and a student's, you know, doing something kind of cool or interesting, I, uh, I post it to Twitter and tag the teacher. So the teachers do have an, kind of a window into what's happening in the library because they aren't always there with their students now. So I try and share out that way as much as I can. It's a it's a it's a. One of the questions that I, I, I just wonder about the library. It's just one of those. It's one of those spaces that because I, I remember having um. I talked to this about. I was talking about whole school learning, and in that process of whole school learning, talking about sort of some of the um, untapped learning spaces for some schools. Like, actually, you know what? I think this was a. I'm, I can place it now. I actually went to Ed Camp Brampton. Ed Camp 905 a couple mm-hmm. years back. And they were talking, the topic that I landed into was um, developing makerspaces when the school doesn't want them to be in the library. They want the library to be a little bit more. This was the sort of, this was the starting point. So how do you include maker opportunities for students if the culture of the school is libraries are for books and quiet contemplation and it was a it was a cool conversation because i think it was kind of split you had people that wanted to wanted to keep the library as the sort of like shelves of books and quiet desks and then there was others that were trying trying to transition out but felt they couldn't and so one of the topics that kind of bloomed out of this was um the library reflecting the school or the library as the window to opportunity for the school. 
Right. So is it the place where you're actually able to say, hey, school, have you considered this? What does that kind of, what does you, you it would have been cool if I had met you there. Maybe you're at the, I don't know, but it would have been cool to, to have this time travel and have this conversation again. What are your thoughts on that as far as library, library holding form because the school wants it to be that or library being the thing that's kind of pushing out kind of the new? In my position, our library is pushing out the new um, for sure. And it's funny, a lot of um, our K educators uh, come with the, with the kids. So they come in a, a group of eight instead of four with an educator. And they're spending the, their time telling the kids, shh, quiet, it's a library, shh, it's a library. Meanwhile, I have, you know, 50 kids from grade one to five, not running around like maniacs, but they're not quiet and they're not, you know, um, you know, whispering. They're, you know, building with Lego and like, hey, Miss Lyons, come take a picture. Or, hey, check this out. Um, you know, um, I have had some kids mention that they wish the library were more quiet so they could read. Um, so we're actually going to kind of explore um, purchasing noise canceling headphones next year for the kids who want the space to be quiet. Um, but we've used the space to kind of push, um, you know, push out a maker culture to push out uh, hands on learning to push out tinkering with things. Um, and oftentimes we, uh, we do start it from a book. So we use a book as a provocation um, that way and to connect it back to the curriculum. Um, but we started an open making, uh, I don't want to say program because that's not the right word either, but an open making opportunity in the library this year, which I call the genius cart, um, which again, it's just like our uh, free flow book exchange. Kids can come down at any time that the genius cart is open um, and explore with the different kind of making uh, materials that are there. Um, and whatever kind of making challenge, because um, we've explored some design thinking and then some different kind of materials that kids might not otherwise have uh, explored before. Um, but they're not necessarily coming with their class all the time to do to do the making. And then towards the end of the year, as the, the book exchange wound down and the library started to, uh, you know, I had to close it up so I could, you know, get everything ready for the summer. Uh, we made the Genius Card a sign out. Um, opportunity so classes could sign it out and take the materials it was more of a mobile makerspace that went to their room uh, to do whatever activity they were doing I like that it do I think when I get back in September I I, I want to check in with with the teacher librarian because I am curious about that I'm curious about I'm curious about that you know how I'm curious about how different I always like the idea of um, like cross curricular things. I like mm -hmm. the, I like the idea of um, learning in hallways. I like, I like student led, but not even student led, let's say st student first opportunities. Like you're saying, like the kids are kind of signing out their books and other kids are helping. Like that's, that really is. Um, I think of, oh, what book am I reading right now? Uh, Troublemakers. I'm reading Troublemakers. I forget uh, author last name Shallaby, I think, and I don't remember if it's in the if it's in the introduction, but it's in there, and it's talking about schools as the practice ground for the democracy that eventually will become that eventually will sort of be outside the school. And is that mm -hmm. it, it, how close is that? How close of a a connection is that? Is it artificial? Is it you know? Is it is it real? Is it challenging? What are the things about the things we're actually offering up? And and it makes me think about also the types of communication that happen between the 
adult designer and makers. And I'm thinking about my experience right now, and I've never really had the conversation in-house with one of the teacher librarians about what it is that they look like intentionally, what are they looking to sort of amplify and push out from their space? And I think, um, yeah, that's, that's a bit of a missed opportunity because it always struck me, you know, not always, but it's sort of, it was a, a consistent idea that you just go to the library. It's not even the phrase, mm-hmm. I'm going down to the library, but what does right. it mean when the library goes out? Like where do they right. sort of like push out into the school to kind of rep what they're doing? Yeah, so we, I, I try and use the virtual announcements. We use like a Google slide deck for our announcements. So I use that to push out a lot of things. We did um, like a, a battle of the books, uh, like a book bracket last year in September. So I video uh, recorded myself reading different books that were paired up until we like, you know, got down to the ultimate, you know, what was the best new book added to our collection. So this, the classes like read the book with me, but they, they did it in their classroom over the announcements. Right. Um, you know, and I put up little challenges and stuff um, connected to what kind of tinkering things are in the library on the virtual announcements. Um, and then I also have like our collaboration schedule is completely wide open. There's no set time for any class to come. Uh, so some classes come, you know, every day for three weeks, depending on the ebb and flow of their inquiry. And then I don't see them again for a while. Um, and, you know, I see them at different points, you know, to start an inquiry, to do the research, to finish, to present, you know, sometimes we might do it all the way through together. Um, but oftentimes a teacher will see what someone else kind of signed up to come and do and that'll spark their interest. Hey, I saw so-and-so did this. What is that? Can we try it? Or would that fit with this, with my curriculum, uh, kind of thing. So it's, you know, basically between the collaboration schedule and the announcement, I try to make the library as open book as possible. So, you know, everybody sees what's happening in the space and are more than welcome to, you know, come check it out, try it out, ask about it kind of thing. And then a lot of the kids, you know, they come, um, and say, my friends were talking about this. What is that? You know, where's this book? Someone mentioned this book. Uh, and it's really, the space is very kid driven. They, they run it. Um, you know, and even something as small as the, all the Lego is color coded in different bins, just because that's me and how I do things. And people told me I was nuts to color code it. The kids wouldn't. Um, and it will get messy for about a week before there's a group of kids that are like, oh, no, this this will not stand. And they will they will spend their time resorting the Lego rather than build because it is not right. And that's not how our library is. <laughs> so they really take ownership of it. It's funny when you say stuff like that. So part of my portfolio is I teach in an ASD community class. And I've had people like, sometimes, sometimes the lesson can be that we're actually cooking something. Sometimes, so it's culinary, high school culinary, primarily a culinary class um, for the students. And we, (laughs) sometimes the actual activity, their preferred activity is to you know, we're, we're reorganizing, cleaning out and reorganizing the pantry. It's a funny, and I've had people say like, that's not fun. I'm like, nah, you don't get it. (laughs) Don't worry. Don't worry. Just observe for a bit. You don't get it. They're, they're digging it. They're, they're. We have um, a loose part section for kids to, you know, like build and represent, but there's a lot of kids who will come dump a bucket, sort it by color, size, whatever, put it all back in the bucket and leave again. And you can almost like visually see their, you know, um, 
calm meter, I guess, whatever you want to call it, you can almost visually see them coming down off whatever perch they were on, that tactile, sensory, uh, sorting, whatever it was, they are now ready to go back to class for whatever new learning it was. They just needed that time to touch and sort, and they're good. They didn't actually make or create anything, but that was their self-regulation yep. piece. So it's the same at report card time. People who are like, oh, my house is never the clean, never as clean as during report card time, right? Because they're, you know, they're maybe procrastinating, but they're calming themselves down by cleaning and doing something because it makes them feel better before they have to do this. Totally, thing. totally. What do you think uh, a learning commons is kind of uh, optimized to notice in a school? So from your experience, sort of being in that space of kind of being able to observe the kids coming in and to observe sort of like the impact of the programming, what do you think is kind of like, and this is, I don't know, I'm kind of putting it as maybe this is an untapped conversation, but what do you think that you yourself, maybe the experience of being in, in the library commons is optimized to notice about a school as in, you know, kind of like a barometer or like, what, what is it that you, is kind of like some of the key stuff that you see inside your space that you know, would be great for more schools to know just in general? Um, I think uh, the biggest thing that I've noticed with the kids is uh, kind of their desire to um, have freedom of materials and like the freedom of time to talk about their own learning. Because um, it's really interesting when they come and they are tinkering with the materials. Um, you know, I had a group of grade fives last year who every week came with a specific plan as to what they would use the loose parts for. And they weren't just, you know, building for fun. I'm sure they were having fun and enjoying it, but they were building different representations of the things they were learning in social studies about government. You know, they built a replica of Toronto and with, um, you know, the different buildings. And then the next week they were talking about Ottawa. So they weren't, they were bringing their learning to the library um, and representing it and discussing it together. And, you know, if their teacher had just been sitting there, you know, recording it or taking anecdotals, their, you know, assessment would be a snap, would be a breeze. And I think, um, I don't think we trust kids often enough just to give them that space of materials and time to talk and, you know, trust in what they, they are soaking up and then letting them kind of put it back out to us. I like that anecdotals. I like that idea of the anecdotals. I got, can I, I got, I got, I got one more for you. Can I give you one more based on that? And then, uh, okay. We can, yep. we'll, we'll adjourn until convo two. Um, <laughs> I like that there's a convo two in the plans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, I'm always, I'm always like, I, I told you, I told you about that PD session, right? It's just, yeah, yeah. um, there's a, there's a small economy of time here, but it doesn't mean that we don't return to it. But you got me, and this is this is kind of, when I think about maker spaces and the opportunity. So if I go back to that EdCamp conversation, I'm scattered. Let me gather myself here. If I go back to the conversation that happened at the EdCamp, that 905 EdCamp, and there was the provocation around, around maker spaces library not library that flowed out into well what would a whole school that looked like it was em embracing 
these maker spaces, which then we pulled off the idea of, well, let's not call them maker spaces. Let's just, let's just look at the whole school learning opportunities as in that was, it was designed as a hallway, but can, can it be used for something else? Okay. That's kind of a corner that I don't know. Normally we keep a plant and a desk there. Could that be used for something else? So you start to look at learning outside of your silos, the classroom silos. We, just at the tail end of our time, someone jumped in and said, okay, this is fantastic. I'm totally down with this. I'm, this is awesome. But I know someone's going to ask me about assessment. Someone's going to ask me to try and connect the dots with, this is cool that you're pushing these limits. We could kind of see, we can see because you made it explicit, Ministry of Ed, expectation, connections. We can see the creativity You've mentioned just now to come and be in that space, grabbing anecdotals. It's it, you can, it can be done, but I'm curious about I'm curious about your perspective on when we're pushing the limits of. Um, I think you mentioned this in one of your you mentioned it in one of your pieces that idea of making for making sick, right? And that being kind of like nurturing this concept that I think this concept of play is the work for some kids. We've talked about it too. Like I, my students to sort of be able to observe, to observe play in my students is, is challenging. The idea has to, you still have to start with having like a deep, deep rapport with the kids and understanding their tells and the way they kind of um, the way they communicate their behaviors to understand the level of fun they're having or whether it's just intentional connection, like they're, they're on task and they're sort of being productive. Like there's so many different ways to kind of say, is the kid connected with the task that the kid is doing? Mm-hmm. But I'm curious about, for, you know, in your view, how does, how does maker culture by default change how we do assessment? I think it, or do, or do you see it in line with it? What are your, what are your thoughts on that? So two things it brings to mind. A couple of years ago, I had an administrator who uh, really kind of changed the way I viewed my own assessment. Because um, I think a lot of times when, um, when people first start teaching, we kind of really feel this need to have the proof on paper, which is where the, you know, the pencil paper assessments come from. If, if the kid's not putting it on paper, how do we know they know it? Um, and my, you know, my principal, um, said, you know, like your professional judgment is assessment. You know, if you see a student do it or hear a student say it, whether it's to you or to another student, that's still assessment. Um, and so that's really when I kept started to keep a huge supply of post-it notes. Um, and if I heard a kid say it or saw a kid do something, I wrote it down on a post-it note. Um, you know, and then as tech evolved pictures and videos, obviously. Um, and then I think it, you know, the kindergarten document is a really underread document by anyone who's not a kindergarten educator. And one of the big kind of statements that comes out of it is why this for this child at this time um, kind of thing. And I think the maker culture, maker movement really helps push you know, that thought process. Why, what does this child need at this time to help them with their, their learning to move them to the next step? Um, and last year I did a small, uh, a small group literacy project or literacy unit with um, three, three or four students 
um, from our, our special needs class at the school. Um, and the, the teacher was like, you know, they, they are the, 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 you know, the most independent readers in my class. So I want to give them an opportunity to really explore some, some deeper texts. Um, I want them to do a novel study with you, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then we talked about it and I said, you know, they're not coming often enough to do a novel study and, and a novel, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be a novel to be a rich literary experience. Uh, so instead we kind of brought it back around and we decided to do a Chris Van Allsburg author study. Um, and then, you know, the, the kids didn't have the, the longest attention span as almost all kids don't. Um, so the, the piece that came out of it was like, you know, we would get this, this kind of, you know, our reading done, our discussion done. Um, and then we could use the Lego to represent uh, our thinking. And the kids just kind of naturally started to uh, build and retell the stories through their Lego. They would, you know, build the scenes and the setting and I could hear them talking to each other. No, no, this happened first and then that happened, you know, and I basically just sat there and, you know, verbatim scribed what I was hearing from them. Um, and then one of the books we read, um, we read uh, Jumanji and the Garden of Abdul Ghazazi, which both have animals in it. And so then they started to ask all these questions about animals. And I said, well, where could we find this information, which obviously led us over to the, the nonfiction section. And everybody found a book on an animal they were interested in, which then, you know, as we started to look through the books, what's this? What's that? And we brought out the, you know, started a talk about the features of nonfiction texts, none of which any of this was planned. I did not plan to have them retell with Lego. I did not plan to integrate with nonfiction. But the kids naturally pushed the learning to that place. And it actually made our, you know, our learning deeper and richer, mostly because I was just open to hearing what they were going to say and what they were interested in, what learning they wanted to do in that moment. And I think if teachers spend more time listening um, to their students and just kind of thinking, what, what does this student or this group of students need at this time? the maker movement and maker culture starts to become a really natural fit uh, and that will provide, you know, really deep assessment opportunities for students. Because I mean, how often in our lives do you have to prove what you know on a test? And it's interesting, my husband and I had a, not an argument, but a, you know, a, a fierce discussion about it because he was kind of feeling, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm, I am, the next time, <laughs> the next time it's getting kind of intense between my spouse and I, and uh, I'm going to test drive that, your language. <laughs> and, and so it, and she says to me, you know, I just, I, I, I don't want to argue anymore. I'll, I'll just put in there. Um, this is actually a fierce discussion. <laughs> so he, he was questioning, you know, why, why I was pushing for this, you know, stuff so hard and why did I think, you know, like we, we learned with pencil and paper and look at us, we're all fine. And, you know, that kind of thing. And he's not an educator. Um, and I said to him, you know, like, look at your high school experience versus your college experience. And his background is TV broadcasting. And when he went to school, his assessments were creating videos of things. And I said, when were you more engaged? And when did you have better marks? When you were in high school and you had to write all your stuff down or when you were in college and you could make videos to show your understanding because that's where your interests lie. 
And you could almost see the light bulb, like literally poof above his head. And he was like, oh, I'm like, yeah, I like writing essays and that's where my strengths lie. And I want to, you know, prove my understanding that way, but you didn't, you know, and your program gave you that opportunity. So, you know, when we figure out what this child needs at this time and letting them do that, then, you know, everybody's, you know, ability to demonstrate their understanding is just more, uh, is deeper, I guess. I like those moments, those aha moments. Mm -hmm. I definitely will not uh, capitalize on that moment uh, if she somehow agrees that it is a, <laughs> and then intends to, I'll just, I'll just move on a small win. Here's where um, I want to just, there was a quote that I, that I bounced your way. And part of the whole squirrels thing, my kind of, my take on this originally was trying to, like the podcast was to kind of get up aside how my colleagues, people that, you know, I got some interest in how they're kind of creating change in EDU. Um, and sometimes the cost of that, like, you know, when you actually do change something, it's, it's sometimes it's not as simple as just having the idea and actioning it. There's, there's work that comes after that as well. Um, but I, I, I sent you that Van, the Van Gogh quote about, um, a great fire burns within me, but no one stops to warm themselves at it and passersby only see a wisp of smoke. And I've, I've come to, it's kind of like my current, one of my current faves only because of sometimes the nature of, of the work that we do is it is, it's behind the scenes a little bit. So it's kind of happening a little bit behind the curtain so that the students, our colleagues, the community can uh, kind of benefit from some of these things. So I am, I'm curious in the spirit of that, I'm curious as to whether or not there is something kind of cooking on the stove for you right now as you move into, is this now, this will be year three mm -hmm. being in the, so yeah. Is there anything that you can, you can, you know, share as a preview or is there just something that has been a long form project or, you know, a bit of a reveal what's, what's coming on the pipe for year three. The, um, the open making the genius cart is going to be a big focus uh, for me next year. Um, cause we kind of, you know, dipped our toes in it this year, started out to see where it's going to go. Um, and I've been documenting it as a, an action research for, um, there's a, a library symposium, uh, called treasure mountain next year, right after the library conference in like end of January, beginning of February. So I'm hoping to kind of present an action research on kind of what this genius cart open making, you know, project, what it's kind of evolved into and what we've learned from it. Uh, so that's going to be a big, uh, a big focus for next year. Um, also, I'm, uh, we've really done a lot of work on kind of diversifying the collection, um, especially the uh, chapter books um, in the library. And I kind of just anecdotally noticed that the more diverse the collection has become, the greater uh, kind of circulation I'm seeing in the books. Um, so I kind of want to maybe fo focus on that a little bit more, make it more, um, what's the word, purpose, not purposeful, because I think it's so purposeful, but I want to, I can't think of the word now, but I want to, you know, document with the kids, talk about with the kids, and then provide the kids an opportunity to really, you know, recommend books to each other and talk about, you know, why are these books interesting to me? 
Um, what am I learning? You know, kind of get them to have a deeper conversation about what they're learning about themselves and their world through reading these different uh, different books from different backgrounds and different authors. I like it. And blog posts will ensue. Yes. I hope. Most likely. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I know. It's an investment, eh? Like it's, we, it we spent, our whole on-ramp was just, you know, talking a lot about how awesome it is to be a parent and the challenges that come with that. And that's, that's where this kind of stuff slots in, right? Yeah. We, uh, every once in a while I hear a crash and a boom from upstairs. And I wonder, did that make it onto the mic? And I'm like, <laughs> what did they just do? And then you wait, right? Yeah. Like, is that a, a, a happy squeal or is that someone in pain <laughs> <laughs> working through those feels? So yeah. Beth, where people wanting to connect with you, wanting to have some more conversation with you? Uh, Twitter is probably the best, uh, the best bet, which is at Mrs. Lyons Library on Twitter. And then uh, my blog, I always have to look up my blog address. I'm so bad. I don't mem- memorize it. <laughs> um, let me find it here. Uh, the librariansjourney.blogspot.com. I do the same thing whenever someone asks me my, um, my mobile number. I'm like, uh, I have to get my phone out. Like, what was the, <laughs> it's the same details, eh? Ma- managing our digital selves. Yeah. Big thanks, friend, for tolerating no the uh, the digital hiccups today. That's okay. Um, I've noticed that all your DMs have come through now. Oh, did they all come through? They, yeah, <laughs> I have like a whole bunch now that I can go back through it and see. Yeah. Let's see, let's see one, if like, mine's... Are you, mine... are you okay? I'm yeah. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. There, there's the link. Yeah, there's I can the, see oh, you all can... your post-it notes now. Oh my gosh! Just in time delivery. Thank you, yeah. Twitter. That is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's all apps. Yeah, so now you can see the weird my little digital space that. Uh, yeah, that's where the whole. That's my hovel in the corner. I'm excited in the in the new house. We're gonna have a um, a space for me to set up and be my kind of creative zone. Because I, uh, I also bullet journal, um, and I'm always just like carrying materials around to different places of the house. Yes. Um, so my husband's like, "What do you think about putting a desk?" And I was like, "Yes." You yes, know what though? Let's yes. be completely honest. It's not just about having the space. It is about the practice. And my practice right. is that I have markers and pens. I don't. In, I don't invest in washi tape. I haven't gone that far yet. I don't have like the the specialty things, but I have probably right. eight different journals or sketchbooks on the go. As I look over to my left, there's a stack of three that people have bought for me, right? Right, <laughs> so yeah. And just... I can't resist buying one whenever uh, I see one. Even so, if you well, actually, that's what when we were having all the Twitter problems, I was like, "Well, I'll just sit here." I'm reading um, a book called Atomic Habits. And I was doing a sketch note for the my book club, so I was like, "I'll just continue my sketch note while I'm waiting for us to." Because it fits, up. right? Right. I was like, "Well, I'm not going to waste the time. I'll just sketch note." Do you have post-it notes in your car? Uh yes. Mm. Yeah, in my purse. Every purse has post-it notes and highlighters and flare pens. Do you ever note when you're at a red light? No. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> sounded very sincere <laughs> but it is always like so i'm i tend to only be in my vehicle my my wife's vehicle is a little bit more like the family vehicle but it is funny like my car isn't the car that has like 
coffee cups and like that kind of stuff all over it. But it is right. like, I, I have, I've written stuff at stop sign. So like the seat will be covered in like notes and scribbles. And she's like, what do you, how do you, what do you live like this? I'm like, it's just note taking stuff. She's like, okay, can you organize it ahead of time? Cause it's kind of like, she's just dusting off the seat when she gets in the passenger right. side. So yeah, it is a, I would say it's a, it's a habit. I should figure it out. <laughs> so thanks for maybe voice, voice memos <laughs> yeah no i got those too i yeah, yeah there are, it's it, there's little yeah little bits of me all over the place like that so i'm findable right if we had a cat yeah. it would be worse because they would be all these little balls of paper that they'd be padding around all the time so thank you for your time um no problem definitely definitely look forward to your posts up on year three and Maybe that's after you make it through the year three. That's where we can return to this. I still have, you can yeah. see, we didn't make it to all the cues that I wanted to throw your way. I know. Um, yeah, I'm reworking. I did a three-year transition plan, mm -hmm. obviously, two years ago. Um, and I'm reworking the year three transition plan. Because at the time, year three was like, continue, continue, continue. Because <laughs> I really didn't know where we would be. So now that we're starting year three, I, uh, I'm re kind of revisioning it with a lot more... Um, uh, like if then statements and a lot more focus. I also just finished my uh, library specialist in the spring. So kind of, you know, taking that learning and putting it into the, the year three vision plan um, and then kind of going from there. Action some of it, yo. Mm -hmm. That's the plan. Yeah. So you get a whole lot of doing. Back to, I think, where we started, that idea of yeah, tr a tremendous right. amount of doing. Right. And uh, yeah, I look forward to your first episode of your podcast. <laughs> Zing. Let's not hold our breath no, on that yet. <laughs> That'd be cool though. And I'd also be happy yeah. if any of your kiddos are doing podcasts and if it can make it outside the domain, I would love to, I'd love to hear something. That kind of stuff is really cool. Yeah, maybe. We'll keep it bouncing around in my head for now. We'll see where, see where it goes. I appreciate your committed non-committedness to it. <laughs> My if I'm, if I'm, if, if, yeah, if I'm, if I'm reading the room. All right. Enjoy your, what day is it? All Wednesday? Right. It is. And uh, take care. All right. You too.